You are listening to the Bellator Christi podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. name we're, we're referencing that particular individual okay so when we're referencing a, a, a person or a place or a thing we're referencing a, a person or an object uh, that uh, we're talking about and so we want to ask if you will to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word those who can uh, we're going to read about a story today about Peter and John as they were going to the temple now it's important to remember that Christianity and, and Judaism were really linked together up until about 70 A.D. Uh, early Christians still continued to celebrate Passover. They still continued to celebrate even Hanukkah and things of this nature. It wasn't until later, of course, during because of persecution and things of that nature, uh, that added to uh, the, uh, the division of uh, Christianity and, and uh, Judaism. Of course, uh, Christianity was seen and is, is in quite, in fact, seen as being fulfillment of what we find in the Old Testament, otherwise known as the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it is the fulfillment of the law of God given to the Israelites. So we read here in chapter 3 that Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. 
So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He was expecting a handout. He was expecting money or something of the sort. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But what I do, I, I give, what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Here, this, of course, is Dr. Luke adding his medical insight to this as well. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this, or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and asked for a murderer, of course referring to Barabbas, to be granted to you and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead. What a powerful verse verse 15 is. The prince of life, the one who gave life, was the one who was condemned to death by the people. And his name, uh, and, and his name through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. We just simply ask this morning that you would just fill me with your Holy Spirit. Allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken. And in the powerful, precious name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these things and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. A name is an important thing. In fact, uh, a name references a particular person at a particular moment. Uh, whenever, I think I may have told this story before, but it, it, it bears repeating. Uh, when I was in middle school, I believe it was in middle school if I'm not mistaken, I was called to the principal's office. And it may surprise you that I was rarely ever called to the principal's office. Some of you may not believe that, but <laughs> it was true. And so I was stunned by having to come to the principal's office. And I was actually speaking with the assistant principal, and she looked at me. She said, what do you have to say for yourself? And I said, ma'am, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, oh, yes, you do. I said, I have no clue what you're talking about. She says, you don't know so-and-so? I said, no, I don't. She looked down. She said, wait a minute, is your name Brian Chilton? I said, yes, ma'am, it is. She said, your name is, uh, well, I'm not going to give the initial case he's listening. Let's, let's say it's A. Brian Chilton. Uh, you know, that wasn't the letter. Let's just say it was. Isn't your name A. Brian Chilton? I said, no, my name is Brian G. Chilton. She said, wait a minute, there's two of you? 
I said, yes, ma'am, there must be, because that's not me. I have no clue what you're talking about. She said, well, I apologize. She sent me in, and she got the other Brian Chilton, the one who had caused the problems in there. You see, a name is important because when I call a name, I call the name, say, Francis Leg. You all know who I'm talking about, don't you? Oh, that was bad. <laughs> you know who I'm talking We need to call Dennis up and tell <laughs> You know, when you mention a person's name, you know who you're speaking about. You know, when someone calls a particular name, they know what they're talking about or who they're to, or whom they're talking of. Uh, in this case, a lot of times we have names to refer to different things. We have names for people. We have names for places. We have names for objects. We have names galore. Those names reference and bring to our mind the particular person or the particular thing upon or by which we are referencing. But let me just tell you this today. There are certain things, certain names that we call upon that do not have any power. And this message, I, I failed, I, I have to apologize to Erin, I failed to get her the message information, but this, this outline is easy to, to, to follow if you'd like to follow along with it. We're going to simply ask two questions today in, in, in concurrence with our main title. We want to ask, what are some of the powerless names? What are powerless names out there that we trust upon? And the next question is, where, where, what is the power found in Jesus' name? And we're going to look at three things today in the first section that are powerless, that we trust upon many times, that are really powerless to, to make any difference in our lives. And then we're going to look at three or four things that shows the power of Jesus' name. So the first thing we want to look at today, of course, going back in our minds, we think of Peter and John as they're going to the temple. They're going through this gate called Beautiful, and they see this man, uh, we find in chapter 4 that the man is over 40 years of age. He's been brought to the temple, to the beautiful gate of the temple. For all of his life, people are bringing him there. He's begging for alms in Judaism and Christianity as well. Tithing is a very important thing. Uh, providing money to individuals, to God and to individuals to, for help was a very important virtue in the earliest church. So this man comes, he's begging for money, but Peter and John provide him something that's far better than money. So first and foremost, what are some of the powerless, trusted names that we call upon for help? The first thing we see is that places are powerless. Now I'm not going to say that, the, I'm not trying to say that there aren't places where we can really feel God's presence in a powerful way. I believe when we step in this church, we can feel the presence of God. If we're prayed up, we're communing with Him, there's something special about this place called the church. Uh, I, there's something, I, I'm a mountain boy, I love the mountains, I love going up to the mountains. I, there's something special about the mountains. One, I don't like hot weather, it's a lot cooler up there, I do it a whole lot better in cooler weather, that's one thing. But there's something about the mountains that make us feel small. To, you know, and, and realize, help us to realize that there's a great big world out there. I was telling Bob and Brenda, I was envious and salivating over the pictures they sent of Denali, Denali Mountain, and I made the mistake. I thought, that looks a lot like Mount McKinley. Come to find out, that is Mount McKinley. It's going back to its proper name, Denali Mountain. But what, I was envious. I was salivating at the pictures they sent and posted. Uh, what a beautiful mountain. They were one of 33% of the people who actually got to see the mountain because the mountain's so high and usually covered by clouds. But when we see that there are special places that make us feel close to God, but understand this, beloved, that places will not heal us. 
Many times people will go, in fact, even in uh, Hinduism, they'll go to the Ganges River expecting a special healing in this, in this river, and it's usually filled with all kinds of stuff uh, that, that's not healthy in this river. But they go there thinking to be, that they'll be healed by this river. There are other uh, beliefs where they feel that if you can go to this certain area that you'll find healing. Well, understand, this lame man was in the temple, the holiest place on earth, by one of the most beautiful gates, Josephus says that this gate was so beautiful, it was overlaid with gold and silver and bronze. They probably spent a fortune getting this gate built. Uh, it led from the gate of the women and Gentiles to the, to the gate of the, uh, to the court of the Jews, leading into the temple itself. Beautiful gate. But this man had been here over 40 years, and he still hadn't been healed, had he? Places will not heal us. In fact, a lot of times we buy into the lie that the grass is always greener on the other side. Ravi Zacharias tells the story in his book, The Grand Weaver, of a, of a little boy who was looking off at a distance. He looked off at a distance and he saw this ha house up on the hillside with these golden windows uh, glimmering. And he thought to himself, if only I could live in that house, my life would be perfect. Everything would be fine if only I could live in that house. So he talked to his dad. He convinced his dad to drive, them, uh, to drive him over to this house so he could see this house. And when he drove up this hillside and saw the house, he noticed that the windows weren't really golden at all. He, he was looking and thought, where's the glimmer? Where's the glory of these windows? We, it doesn't have the shine that I thought that it had. And he noticed that the, uh, the sun reflecting off the windows was the very thing providing that golden hue that made it look as if it was a lot more glorious than what it was. He also looked to find this little girl in the window. The little girl was in the window looking out at the distance. And he asked the little girl, he says, what are you looking at? She says, I'm looking at that house on the hill on the other side, glistening. Uh, it's got golden windows. And if only I could live there in that house, everything would be perfect. The boy was startled to look to find that it was his house that that little girl was looking towards. You see, the, the, the fact is, is a lot of times we think the grass is always greener on the other side till we get there and we realize that it wasn't as green as we thought that it would be. Amen? Anyone ever been there? So places won't heal us of our problems. You know, this is the thing that the, the devil, I think, will often try to do. This one thing that Patsy told me, Patsy Booth told me, and has stuck with me since the time she said it, bloom where you are planted. And I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. Amen? Wherever God has planted you, bloom there, grow there, develop there. In fact, I read this the past week that sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but actually you've been planted. Bloom where you're planted. Number two, we see that money is powerless. The lame man, look, he didn't ask for a healing here. He was asking for a handout, wasn't he? And Peter comes and he says to the man, Silver and gold have I none, but I have something better to offer you than silver and gold. He had the healing found in Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times we think that if we have more money, we have more revenue, that life will be better. And understand, I, I understand clearly that, that we need a certain amount of money to sustain us, to live on, and, and obviously we do. But I've heard people say often, more money, more problems. I spoke with one guy one time who said, I've, I always hear that the more money you have, the more problems you have, but I'd like to have just enough to be able to find out if that's true. Amen? <laughs> That'd be nice, just to have enough to find out whether that point's true or not. 
But obviously we buy into this that if, that if we have lots of money that we're going to find happiness. But if you look throughout Hollywood, rich stars and starlets, you'll find individuals who really aren't content. Amen? You'll find individuals who really don't have joy in their lives. The power is not found in money. And also time is powerless. A lot of times we say that time heals all wounds. And in, in some cases that's true. Given enough time, you know, we do uh, find healing sometimes in our lives. But understand, if we keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again, we're going to find ourselves in that same situation, aren't we? Time doesn't always heal us. Because, in fact, we see that this man had for 40 years been brought to this gate, to this beautiful gate, and over time he had not been healed. Understand uh, that, that it's, it's very interesting. I had a friend of mine who was in the highway patrol who once told me, and Philip, uh, he's not here today, he could probably back this up, that one of the most dangerous things for an officer to do is to go into a home, and I never have figured this out, where, where a spouse is being beaten by her husband. Now, one, let me just say, that irritates me that a husband would ever lay his hands on his wife. That's not a man, amen? That, that's a man pretending to be a man. That, that's a wimp, if you ask me. You know, I, that's not a winner. Anybody, any man who would ever lay his hands on his wife in a physical manner or an abusive manner, that's not a man at all. And in fact, one day, he's going to face the judgment of God doing that. So any man that lays his hands on his wife is not a man. But it's an interesting thing that a lot of times these officers will go in these homes and they have something they call the Stockholm Syndrome. It's a weird thing that happens. The officer will go and they'll arrest this husband who has battered his wife and then the wife will come after the officers with frying pans trying to beat the officers who's arresting the guy who beat her. I think a lot of times we think in our minds, well, given it enough time, things will change. But understand, there's no power found in time itself. In, in, in fact, time runs very quick. People ask me, people have asked me, why are you going for this PhD? And it's because of this. Number one, I feel God has, has, has called me to do it. Because I told God, I, I heard from an advisor, said it may take you three years to, to get in this program. I said, Lord, I'm going to try one time. If it's your will for me to get in, let me get in. If it's not, then don't let me. Either way, I'm fine. I'm content. I'll follow your will. Believe it or not, the first time I applied, I got in. So I, I told someone else just the other day on social media, I don't want to look back at my life because time is fleeting. The Bible says our life is but a vapor. We're here today. We're gone the next. I don't want to be on my deathbed looking back and God tell me, why didn't you go for this when I called you at least try and me say I was too scared to try. Beloved, we don't have a lot of time on this earth. And if we keep putting things off, if we keep putting the calling that God has in our lives off, then we're going to find that we're never going to fulfill what God has called us to do. As Ashley so eloquently stated, He has given you a purpose. He has given you a reason. Fulfill the calling that God has placed in your life. You may put it off to tomorrow, but beloved, tomorrow may never come. Amen? Tomorrow may never come. So, so places are powerless. Money is powerless. Time itself is powerless. But where is the power found? It's found in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen? When Peter and John looked at this man, Peter says, I have something that money won't buy. I have something that this place won't provide. 
I have something that time itself won't provide you. I have the power found in Jesus' name. And there are four things we want to look at here. Number one, the power in Jesus' name is found in the power of his identity. The power of identity is found in Jesus' name. Notice that Peter says... In the Greek, it's Isus Christos to Nazareos, which means Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The name Jesus, Isus in Greek, came from the Hebrew, which means Yeshua, which can be transliterated to the name Joshua. There's something special about the name. Do we have any Joshes? I don't think we have any Joshes in here, do we? That's a beautiful name, Joshua. Uh, Joshua, that's, that's the name, that's the transliterated name of Jesus. It means itself, God saves. But whether you say Yeshua in Hebrew or Jesus in Greek or Jesus in English, it, matter, it makes, no, makes no difference because we are referring to the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God who has come to earth. The title Christos uh, is a messianic title. It means that he is the anointed one. Uh, he is the anointed one called of God, sent to earth, the incarnate Son of God, the anointed one come to earth. And Nazareth, the, the term Nazareth is identifying the place where his hometown was. You know, in this day and time, they didn't have last names. Uh, my hometown is Pilot Mountain. So if we were to do this, I would be Brian of Pilot Mountain, which that would be problematic because whenever I was called the principal's office, that was in Pilot Mountain, so you'd have two Brians of Pilot Mountains, which I may have still gotten in trouble for that. But anyhow, uh, but nevertheless, the power of Jesus' name identifies who he is, his title, and where his home place was. When I was taking undergraduate classes at Gardner-Webb University, one of my professors had been a missionary in Africa. And he says even to this day there are many demon possessions that happen over there. And he says that he was involved actually in an exorcism that took place in the name of Jesus. And he told me there's something powerful about calling upon the name of Jesus of Nazareth. To say, to cast out demons in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Something, there's something powerful about that name that no witch doctor could ever bring. There's something powerful in that name that no other treatment could ever provide healing for. There's something powerful in the name of Jesus of Nazareth that will send those demons packing, running for cover. Why? Because we are referring to the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There's power of holiness, not only identity, but there's the power of holiness that's found in Jesus' name. In verse 14, notice Peter says, You denied the Holy One and the just. You denied Him. He is holy. The people had allowed Barabbas, this criminal, to go in the place of Jesus. And this is the weird thing because Jesus was the one who was the author and finisher of life and they had refused him but had instead accepted Barabbas who was in fact a criminal. We see that Jesus is the Logos, the Son of God. And God says, consecrate yourselves and be holy for I am the Lord your God for I the Lord am holy. You see, here's the thing about holiness. We can't be holy in and of ourselves. There's nothing within us that allows us to be holy in and of our own power. The holiness that we have can only come in and through the power of Jesus Christ. Because of His holiness, He has passed it along to us. I ordered a uh, prayer shawl, beautiful prayer shawl from, from Jerusalem. 
and I, you know, uh, and it and it has even the smell of Jerusalem on there. A buddy of mine who's a chaplain in Virginia ordered the same thing, and he said that definitely smells like the Middle East. He said because he was uh, stationed over there in uh, in a in some uh, in in wars over uh, in Iraq, I think it was Desert Storm, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And he said the smell of Kuwait it, it brought back those smells to him that when he had been overseas. And so it's an amazing thing how that smell had carried through over from Jerusalem over even to uh, Yakinville, North Carolina. At the same, I think in the same, same instance, the holiness of God is provided unto us. He comes to us, He provides us the holiness uh, through the salvation we find in and through Jesus Christ. Number three, we find the power of life that is found in Jesus Christ. When Jesus was crucified, the, the, the prince of life himself, the one who, who created us, the one, the, the, the one person of the tripart uh, Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, uh, he, he came to earth, and the odd thing is that they chose, again, Barabbas, a criminal, over Jesus, who was the author and finisher of our faith, the author of life itself. Now, Jesus raised people from the dead. You've probably heard of wedding crashers. Jesus himself was a funeral crasher. He crashed every funeral he attended. In fact, when he came to the funeral, he would go to the, uh, he would go to the, to the coffin and he would raise the dead back to life. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He is also the author of life itself. I was talking to Cass, one of our fellow friends, Christopher Burcham, not long ago. He had posted a video on his social media account of Dr. Mark Kortz, wonderful man of God, uh, over at uh, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church for many years. And I spoke with him about the ministry of Dr. Kortz. And I think Christopher had gone to Calvary and had been uh, influenced by a great deal by Dr. Kortz. And we were talking about his life, and I told him, I said, I don't really want to use past tense when referring to Dr. Kortz because he's not dead. He's very much alive, amen? He's in eternity with our risen Savior. He's in eternity with Christ. To be, to, be, to be in Christ, we have life in and through His name. If you have Jesus in your life, you're not a dead person, you're a living person. You've been granted life from the eternal life giver that is Jesus Christ Himself. Last but certainly not least, we have the power of salvation found in Jesus' name. In verses 17 through 26, we didn't read it today. We didn't read the passage for the sake of time, but we want to reference it. He, he, Peter preached this message, and all the people came. They were flocking towards this area where the lame man was, where he had been healed. Uh, they were flocking over this area wanting to see what happened. And when Peter acknowledged that it was not them, not they who healed the man, but it was in fact Jesus himself who had healed the man. They wanted to know more. Then they come to the realization that this Jesus was the one whom they had crucified. What are they going to do, Peter? And so he tells them. He didn't leave them with the conviction. He told them the solution. In verses 17 through the end of the chapter, he tells them to repent and turn to Jesus. Receive him as your Savior and your God, and he will forgive your sins, and you will be granted a place with him in heaven. I think it's so true that Paul writes in Romans 10, verses 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Bible also tells us in the book of Romans that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He won't turn you aside. If you call upon His name, He will receive you with open arms. He will save your soul. We have a saving Messiah. We have a saving God whose desire and will is not not one should perish, but all should come to life, to eternal life even. Let me close with this. There's a story. I'm sure you've heard this story of this individual who was caught in the midst of a flood. And uh, the flood waters were coming up, and they had individuals coming, uh, coming up and, and telling the individual, man, you need to leave here. You need to leave this place because this whole area is going to be flooded. The people in SUVs were coming by saying, you need to leave this place because it's going to be flooded. And the man says, no, God will save me. I'm praying that God will save me. I, I, I'm going to let God save me. Well, the waters creep up a little more. It floods the bottom floor of his house. He climbs up to the roof of his house. And there's, at this time, the waters are really at the roof line. There comes someone uh, by on a John boat. And, uh, and he, says, uh, he says, man, you need, to, you need to come and get on the John boat so, you, so we can take you to safety. And the man, again, says, no, I'm praying that the Lord will save me. I believe he's going to save me. The waters crept up again, and for the third time, the man calls out, Lord, save me, Lord, save me, get me out of this, Lord, save me. By this time, the Coast Guard had come with a helicopter with one of the, uh, their workers uh, descending down on a rope, reaching out his hand, saying to the man, Grab hold, I will take you to safety. I will fly you off to a safe place. And again, the man says, No, I'm waiting on the Lord to save me. I'm waiting on the Lord to save me. Well, a few hours later, the man drowns and dies. He gets to heaven. And he says to the Lord, Lord, I called you three times. Why didn't you save me? The Lord says, you big dummy, I sent three ways for you to get out of there. Why didn't you listen? The same is true. Now, now in this case, God has only sent one way for us to be saved, and it's through Jesus Christ. There's no other name that has the power of salvation other than the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There's no other way to the Father's throne but through the risen Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But that's not to say that he won't give us several opportunities in life. But we never know when that last opportunity shall come. Again, we think that we have all the time in the world, and I would love to be able to tell you that we do, but, but just like the gentleman driving down the interstate uh, just behind us found out a few weeks ago, run into a car that had stopped because a recliner had fell off and instantly lost his life just like that. Folks, you're not promised to even make it home today. Neither am I. Yesterday, I, I got a little heated myself, and I overheated. I think I was having a heat exhaustion or something. I was sweating profusely, gone, and I was telling Teresa about this too. I'd gone to a, a place that was really, hot, really, really hot. And I'm going to tell you one thing. If that's a glimpse of what hell's going to be like, I want no part of that place. Come back, I was sweating profusely, and, and by the grace of God, I was finally able to cool off. But that's not something. I'm half Irish. I'm not built for this type of weather. I'm just going to tell you. My ancestors were polar people. I ain't used to this. <laughs> I'm not used to this. I don't do well in real hot weather. But, but who knows? God could have taken my life just yesterday. You're not promised another breath. You're not promised another moment. What I'm simply trying to say to you today is, if, if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, why don't you come and receive Him today before it's eternally too late? 
Maybe you have something that's getting in between your relationship and the Lord's and you just need to come and lay that at the Savior's feet. We encourage you to do that as well. Or maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart, we just ask that you would listen to the Holy Spirit's call and follow in, in obedience to Him. Dear kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do for us and all that you continue to do for us. And we thank you, Lord, for the time that you've given us. We don't know how long we have on this earth. But Lord, we just ask first and foremost that if there's someone here that's never received you as their Savior, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would come and receive you before it's eternally too late. Or maybe there's someone here today who's struggling with some type of issue in their life, and we just want to encourage you. We just want to ask, Lord, that you would convict their heart and lead them to a stronger relationship with you. Lord, we also want to just ask, Lord, if someone's struggling, whatever situation it may be in their life, let them know how much they're loved by you. Loved by each and every person in this church. Lord, have your will and your way this time of Lead us, guide us, and direct us towards Jesus. Please stand with Jesus. Please stand on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Are you looking for something that will train you in Christian apologetics, but you don't have time to commit to a long-term program? Do you want to learn more about the philosophical, scientific, and historical reasons for the Christian faith? If you answered yes, then plan to attend the 25th National Conference on Christian Apologetics, entitled Defending a Faith That Thinks. It will be held October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina sponsored by Southern Evangelical Seminary. Among the speakers include Michael Brown, Norman Geisler, Gary Habermas, Ken Ham, Richard Howe, Greg Kokel, J.P. Moreland, SES President Richard Land, Jay Richards, Hugh Ross, Frank Turek, Jay Warner Wallace, and more than 30 additional speakers. Early bird pricing lasts until August 1st. For more information, go to conference.ses.edu. I plan to be at the 25th National Conference on Christian Apologetics. I hope to see you there. Once again, this is October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Go to conference.ses.edu. The National Conference on Christian Apologetics, defending the faith that thinks. Hi, Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason, and at SCR we have always cared about Christianity worth thinking about. And when I found out that the SES conference this year was about pursuing a faith that thinks, 
I realize that if you go to this conference, you're not only going to have the information you need to deal with people who challenge your convictions, you're going to have the information that will help you deal with the toughest critic you'll ever face, and that's you. That's why I hope to see you there at the SES conference October 13th and 14th in Charlotte, pursuing a faith that thinks. Register now for the National Conference on Christian Apologetics by going to conference.ses.edu. Early bird pricing ends August 1st, so be sure to go and register now. Once again, that's conference.ses.edu. The National Conference on Christian Apologetics 2017, October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, pursuing a faith that thinks. We're looking for people from all around this great nation who believe this is a great nation. We're looking for the best and the brightest and people who believe in goodness and honesty and liberty. If we've just described you, enroll in Liberty University. Online, we've been doing it as long as anyone. Our campus, just beautiful. If you believe in liberty, know that liberty believes in you. Liberty University, online or on campus. To find out more, go to liberty.edu or call 855-466-9220.